Matthew chapter 13 in the Bible and verse number 45. Matthew 13, 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we bow before you tonight, Lord, I do thank you for another privilege that we have to preach your word. Thank you, Lord, we have the word of God. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege to be here. You know my need tonight. You know how I need you, Lord. I need strength. I need power. And God, I thank you for how you touch me. And I give you praise. And I pray that you would get glory to your name. Bless your word and Bless our time together and meet the needs of each heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank the Lord. I appreciate the touch of God. I guess I'm, I feel better when I'm preaching any other time. And, I, you know, that has to be the Lord. But uh, I want to talk about uh, the pearl of great price. Now, the popular interpretation of this parable is that the merchant man is the sinner who is earnestly seeking Christ, who is the pearl of great price. He finds Christ, forsakes all, and buys Christ. Uh, well, this certainly is a false interpretation in, in every respect. It is false, first of all, because man does not seek God. And here this uh, is a man, the merchant man, seeking Goodly pearls, Romans 3.11, there is none that seeketh after God. When Adam and Eve had sinned against the Lord, they hid themselves from the Lord. They didn't go out seeking for the Lord. They tried to hide from God. And then in the comparison the Lord Jesus makes in Luke 15 about the good shepherd and the sheep, it is not the sheep that hunts for the shepherd. It's the opposite. It's the shepherd that goes after the sheep. In fact, it is interesting that the Lord uses the sheep as a comparison of the sinner. Uh, because the sheep of all animals, from what I've read and studied, uh, loses all sense of direction. It's not like a cat or a dog. Someone say you take a cat off and cat beats you home. Uh, it's hard, hard to get them lost. But not a sheep. And the Bible says we're like sheep that have gone astray. So men does not seek after God. God seeks after men. It is false also because the sinner has nothing to sell. In the verse I gave you this morning, man at his best state is altogether vanity. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The sinner has nothing to offer. The song says, Nothing in my hands I bring simply to Thy cross I cling, O Lamb of God, I come. Isn't it wonderful we can come like that? Because that's all the way we can come. We have nothing to bring. 
sinner cannot sell all that he has. He has nothing to sell. And then it's wrong also in the fact that the sinner cannot buy Christ. Who would believe that? He went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Now the liberal interpretation is the pearl of great price is Christ. So he sells all that he has and he buys Christ. <laughs> well, uh, that interpretation is absolutely wrong. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, Verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift. It is unearned. Isaiah 55, 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye and buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The Lord sends a gracious invitation, says, and come, you don't need anything. I've paid for it for you. This come and accept it. So uh, the interpretation that uh, uh, the merchant man is the sinner seeking after Christ is a false interpretation. What is the proper interpretation? I believe the proper interpretation, the merchant man is Christ. He is seeking goodly pearls. Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It is Christ that takes the initiative for man. If God had not sought for me, I would never have found Christ. I'd never come to God. I'd be lost as lost could be even tonight. I wasn't hunting for God. He was hunting for me. It is He that does the seeking. And he sold all, the Bible said, he found one pearl of great price, he sold all that he had. And he bought it. 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He through his poverty might be rich. Jesus Christ left everything for you and me. Isn't that wonderful? He was born in a stable. He did not choose wealthy parents. He chose poor parents. And he came into a world with nothing. He sold all that he had. And he bought it. <laughs> For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so uh, he bought the pearl of great price. And I believe that's the believer. I believe... The pearl of great price is the church of the living God who he purchased with his own precious blood. Now I want us to look at some things about uh, a pearl. A pearl is unique and different than all other precious gems. I don't know what you think of pearls. You say, well, I think pretty highly of them if I had any. <laughs> uh, but uh, pearls are, first of all, the product of a living creature. Now, that is only true of pearls. It is not true of diamonds. It is not true of, of any other precious gems that are mined uh, from the earth. But a pearl is a product of a living creature, an oyster, a tiny grain of sand gets in the side of the oyster and it irritates it. 
it's kind of like you get something in your eye and, and it feels like it's great big, you know. It irritates you. And so that little tiny grain of sand gets in the side of that oyster and it secretes a slimy substance called nectar and it hardens and it coats it over with several coats until the pearl is formed. It's a product of a living creature. You say, what's that got to do with you and I? You remember in the book of Genesis there, chapter 2, that uh, when God created man and there he created the animals, male and female, and he created man and there was not a help that was meat for him. And, and the Lord put Adam to sleep and, and uh, took a rib and made a woman. Someone said a woman is more valuable than a man because man was made from dirt. And woman was made from bone. <laughs> I'm told the woman has one more rib than a man. She has all of her ribs plus one of Adam's. And, uh, but anyway, uh, God created Eve. God created man and then uh, he created Eve there. Uh, Eve is a type of the church. It's a wonderful typology there. It's a wonderful story. Uh, as she is taken out of the side of Adam. Eve was deceived, the Bible says. The devil deceived her. And, uh, but Adam went into sin with his eyes open. He willfully sinned. And uh, there's a wonderful typology there. Adam is a type of Christ. Eve is a type of the sinner. She's a type of the church. And, uh, and so Adam... The only way that he could save Eve was entering into the sin with her. Now, Adam didn't have to sin. Eve partook of the forbidden fruit. She, she did eat and gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. She ate first. He could have said, God forbids this. I'm not eating with you. I'm not going to do it. And had God banished her and God created him another, another wife. But he didn't do that, did he? He loved Eve so much that he was willing to suffer the consequences of sin and death in order to redeem Eve. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what he did? The Bible said in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, I believe it is, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be, might be made the righteousness of God in him. The only way that you and I can be redeemed is for Christ to become sin for us. He had to take a body and in that body bear the sins of the world. He had to become like us in order to redeem us, just like Adam, in order to save Eve, had to enter into the sin with her and, of course, of course cursed himself in doing so. And I'm not saying that she was saved through him. It was, they were both saved through, through the blood. Now, in John 19:34, you have uh, it illustrated there. You remember they pierced the side uh, of Jesus. The Bible said out flowed blood and water. Right. And it is through that 
riven side of Jesus Christ that the church of the living God is redeemed. That the pearl, if you please, is formed. Isn't that right? Uh, that's, that's how the pearl, the, the substance that got into the side of Christ there was our sin. And our sin so irritated Christ that it caused him to die. But out of that death comes a beautiful pearl who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it's set down at the right hand of the Father. It's a product of a living creature. Second of all, it's a product that is formed by suffering. The only way you can have a pearl is through suffering. Right. Now the cultured pearls, uh, as I understand it, that little grain of sand is implanted in purposely into the side of the oyster. Right. And it irritates it. And cultured pearls are not as valuable, are they, as the others that come that are more natural. But it is a product that is formed by suffering. Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The only way that the church could be born was through suffering. It's just like a little baby. You ladies know, you mothers know, no way for a child to get here without some suffering. That's right. right? There's no way for birth to take place without some suffering. And yet the Bible teaches that after the child is born, the suffering is put behind you because of the joy of a new life. And so there is a product of suffering. Jesus endured the cross despised the shame because he saw the end result that would come from the suffering and the agony that he would endure on Calvary and nobody knows what he went through and the suffering that he went through in order to form the pearl. It's a product that is formed by suffering. Thirdly, it is a product that is formed slowly and gradually. They say it takes three or four years to grow a cultured pearl. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a product that is formed slowly and gradually. And you know, the church has been, is being formed and has been in the process of formation for over 1,900 years. It's not complete yet. You say, how do you know it ain't complete? We're still here. If it is complete, we'd be gone. But it is formed slowly and gradually. You know, if you ever thought about it, God is not in any hurry. <laughs> and sometimes it's hard for me to adjust to that because I am usually. And uh, God's not in any hurry. He's eternal. He doesn't have to be. He has a plan. And a purpose. You know, if we distrust God, we'd quit, we'd, we'd, we'd quit being so uptight and, and so nervous about things. I mean, the Lord's going to, He's going to work things out according to His will and in His time and according to His purpose. 
and we need not be concerned about it. Every time someone got in a hurry, they got in trouble. Abraham got in a hurry. The Lord promised him a child. And I can sympathize with Abraham after all. You know, when you get up in the 80s, you, <laughs> you begin to wonder. Doesn't look like we're going to have a child. And uh, uh, he's 80 and his wife's 70. Sure doesn't look like they're going to have a child, wouldn't you say so? And uh, Paul said, I guess, he, isn't he about 87? And his wife, I guess she is 77. But anyway, he gets in a hurry and she gives him Hagar, her handmaid to wife, and Ishmael's born. All oh, the long-term effects of disobedience. Here we are, what, over 3,000 years later, and they're still having problems. In fact, the major trouble spot in the world is over in that part of the world between the Palestinians and the, and the, uh, the Jewish people. Oh, the long-term effects. But it got in a hurry. Thirteen years later, he's a hundred. <laughs> and his wife's ninety. And Isaac's born. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. How'd you like to have a name? What's your name? My name's Laughter. <laughs> what a name to live with. But uh, God fulfilled his promise. Moses was 80 when he led Israel out of Egypt. Caleb was 85. He said, give me this mountain. <laughs> My strength is just like it was when God promised it to me. And he took the mountain, fought the battle, defeated the enemy at 85. You know, the worst thing in the world for people to do, I think, when they get some age, I'm going to sit down and quit. Amen. <laughs> I mean, stay active. Do something. Keep your mind busy and occupied and stay active physically. Do something for God. I, I think uh, uh, what an opportunity, you know, to retire and, and not have to get up and go to work every day and what an opportunity to do something for God right. and make Something count for eternity. It's a product that is formed slowly and gradually. Acts 2.47 said the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This is God's business. The business of forming the pearl is the Lord's business. We just need to be uh, usable and uh, for God to take our life and do what he wants to with it. It's formed slowly and gradually. Sometimes I get impatient. Lord, I need to see you do something now. I'll tell you this man-made stuff, it, it, don't, it don't impress God. God's not interested in, in all these man-made inventions of trying to do the work of God. It's formed slowly and gradually. It's been in formation all this time. Then not only that, but a pearl is a product of unity. 
Now, when you, when, when, when diamonds are mined, as I understand it, you, you know, they, they don't just mine them out of the mine and put them on your finger. They don't look too good. The diamond has to be cut in a certain way to sparkle and, and to reveal the beauty of the diamond. So were other stones. I have a few rocks. I used to collect rocks years ago, and, and they're in a the box somewhere. <laughs> and uh, some of them could be cut in, into nice rings. I don't have anything real valuable. I've got some garnets and, and some quartz and a few things like that. And nothing, I don't, you know, it'd be nice if I had a box of diamonds, but uh, don't, you know, diamonds don't grow in the mountains. <laughs> Or where I came from, anyway, evidently. But, uh, but you can cut those stones. They, they don't come uh, as, you, as you find them in the jewelry store. They have to be cut and, and polished in a certain way, but not a pearl. Right. You cut a pearl and you ruin it. Right. Nobody wants a half a pearl. Right. I mean, it destroys it. It's a product of unity. And so with the church. The pearl of great price. You know what the greatest enemy of the church is? Division. I think Brother Griffin mentioned this morning, a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's what Jesus said. And he likes to divide. But you divide a pearl, you've got a mess. You don't have anything beautiful anymore. You have something ugly. And you have something nobody wants when you divide it. The devil wants to divide, doesn't he? 1 Corinthians 12. Turn there with me, please. 1 Corinthians 12, page 12, 23. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized in one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now use this human body to teach a spiritual lesson about the church. One body, many members, but it has to work together. Foot can't say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not a part of the body. Hand can't say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not a part of the body. You know, every part is important. I can't be the choir director, I just won't sing at all. <laughs> Everybody can't direct. <laughs> you know, someone has to be a member. Everybody can't preach, you know. Everybody can't teach Sunday school class. Everybody has their part in the body. And every part of a pearl is important. You divide it, you ruin it. Now Ephesians 4 verse 4 said there is one body. One body. Ephesians 4 verse 4. One spirit, even as you're called, one hope you're calling. And then in chapter 5, verse 30 through 32, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. 
This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Again, use this, use this the example of the home, the Christian home, to illustrate Christ. Is your home what it ought to be? You know a good test? Does it illustrate Christ in the church? Can someone look at your home and your relationship in your family and say, what a wonderful picture of Christ in the church. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Boy, I'll tell you, he sure does love his wife. You know, that's, that reminds me, of, reminds me of how Christ loves me. Find out if your home's what it ought to be. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. It's a product of unity. A pearl is. And so a church is a product of unity. That doesn't mean we're to join up with a bunch of unbelievers and a bunch of modernists and liberals. I mean, I, you know, every member of my body, the physical body is important. But, uh, uh, you know, your arm... <laughs> I can't use your arm. Your arm belongs to your body. So you have, to, you have to be a member of the body, certainly, to be united. That's what I'm trying to get across. It's a product of unity. And then not only that, but it's a product of beauty. Pearls are beautiful. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And uh, God says we're going to be put on display. Not to boast of our own goodness, but as trophies of the grace of God. In the ages to come, he might show the riches of his grace. And what is grace done? That's why. Why does God allow that sand to irritate that oyster? to bring forth that pearl. And why did Jesus Christ go through what he went through? He went through it to form the pearl. And again, Hebrews says, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why did he do it? Why did he go through such suffering? Who for the joy that was set before him? He saw the pearl. That's why. Now let me give you two or three things here. Pearls are more beautiful when strong. A pearl is beautiful just in itself. But it is more beautiful when you have put the pearl on the string and make a necklace out of the pearls. Now God took a crimson cord there in Genesis. He started stringing pearls. <laughs> I like that story about Rahab the harlot. They says you put that, the scarlet cord out of the window. And when we take the city, you'll be spared. And I've been told that uh, that, uh, when the, that in the excavations that they did in Jericho that uh, uh, they found a place that was not destroyed. 
Well, you expect that, don't you? But the blood, the cord, has God strung you? If you're saved, he has. So they're more beautiful when strung. And one string of pearls is, is beautiful, but you know three are even more beautiful, aren't they? Three strings of pearls. One for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Ghost. And then another thing, as long as the pearl is on the cord, as long as it's strung, it's safe. As long as it's on the cord. And as long as that crimson cord representing the blood of Christ, as long as the blood of Christ is in the heavenly tabernacle, we're safe. <laughs> the blood will not lose, it'll not lose its power. There's power, wonderful working power in the blood of the Lamb. Thank God for the precious blood. That's what makes us safe. You know, that story in Exodus is always a blessing to me. God told him to put the blood on the doorposts, and he said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. The thing that made him safe was the blood. Malachi 3.17 said, They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts in that day, when I make up my jewels. Yeah, God's interested in jewelry, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, this kind of jewelry. The pearl. The gates, the 12 gates, are 12 pearls. I was, I was thinking of that. How'd you like to see that oyster? <laughs> and I don't think the oyster forms those, but <laughs> I think God created it. But I thought, uh, well, you're talking about a monster. Uh, uh, but uh, what a gate! <laughs> I don't know how large that gate is. It, it's it's pretty good size. You read the size of that wall. Uh, huge gate, evidently. And it's one pearl. Can you imagine? And I think that will be a eternal reminder of all who enter in and out of the city of what Jesus did to make it possible. That pearl is a reminder of the suffering and the price that he paid to form it. And I think it represents the inhabitants of the city who are really the pearl that he went to Calvary for. That's what it's all about. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. <laughs> he found the pearl. He sold, he forsook it all. But the pearl of great price. Thank God. Aspire heads, please.